All right, Max uh, Lugwinson, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast here. Class of 2017, Ketchikan High School. It makes total sense that you're a pilot now. It seems like you uh, yeah. that you were destined to become a pilot. Uh, was that what you wanted to do when you were growing up? Uh, well, in uh, in high school, actually, I wanted to be a heavy equipment operator, like cranes and dump okay. trucks and stuff like that. <laughs> and then uh, my dad was part of like the 302 operating engineers. They're up out of Palmer. And that's what he did when he was my age. But uh, so it was easier to get, get um, he stayed in the union because it was easier to get other people in if you're still in the union. And so with me being his kid, he's like, ah, I should be a shoe in. And then I didn't get accepted into the school. Mm. And then my grandpa flew. And so I started working on the dock for TAC1 um, in 2016, the summer of 2016. Okay. In between junior and senior year. And that's when I started working around the airplanes. My uncle flies. My grandpa flew, so it just kind of ran in the blood. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't just get into that stuff a lot sooner just because of how it runs in the family. Yeah. But it took me a little bit to actually get into it. Because your grandpa's kind of a legend, or not kind of a legend, is a legend, right? Yeah. he uh, He's pretty known in the state of Alaska for flying, hunting, trapping, all that kind of stuff. And that was the old school flying. He was, they got to catch a cannon like the 30s or something like that, right? So they've been yeah. for a long time. There's a story on... Uh, it was in his, he, he published a book, but, uh, there was a newspaper article in a story. Dave Kiefer did a lot of stuff for him, but, uh, he landed, I think it was a pacer. I don't think it was a cub, small airplane on uh, big wheels on tundra wheels. He landed on, um, mountain point on the road back Whoa. in the day. There's a newspaper article on it, but I don't remember what year that was. He was born in, I think 27. 1927 so i think it's shoot he must have been probably at least 20 or so so maybe wow. late 40s or something was it emergency landing or was it just no to see if he could do it that's how he came to town wow that, that well, i don't know the, if was... that's specifically how he came yeah. to town but man but yeah it, it was mountain point right here on the corner it was just a dirt road so he landed his plane on it Jeez, <laughs> that's that's crazy You've probably got a whole bunch of crazy stories. Like the aviation in Alaska is totally wild because it, it the is. conditions and and everything else. I uh, I don't know. I, I've been I've been through a, uh, not necessarily a lot. I've only been doing it so far for what, three and a half years, three years, something like that. Actually flying commercially here in town, but uh, I've seen some stuff a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, hearing stories from my grandpa. Like I'd uh, go out and visit him a lot, almost every day after work. And, uh, especially there towards the end, cause you kind of knew he was on the back half. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go visit him a lot and tell him like, Oh, you know, today I went to uh Myers truck and I'd tell him my story about today, a non-event day, just mm-hmm. a normal day. And he's like, Oh, this one time I went in the Myers truck and he'd tell me about his stories that <laughs> yeah. he had or all, all sorts of different destinations, yeah. Matt, Kaufman Cove, all sorts of places. Yeah. And then at, when it finally struck you to become a pilot, was it like, oh, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do? And I, when did that happen? I wouldn't want to do anything different. I don't even know why I didn't jump on this a lot sooner. Um, did it start happening? Probably when I started working on – when I didn't get accepted into that school and I just started working on the dock, being around the airplanes, and then started talking to my uncle a lot about it, my grandpa a lot about it. And uh, I was talking to my Steve Cam. I was talking to him a lot. I was working on his dock there for a little while too. I was telling him I was kind of getting interested in the mm-hmm. airplanes and he was teaching me how to start them up just to warm them up in the morning. And so that was kind of luring me into it a little bit too. And he's like, you got to talk to your dad. 
<laughs> He's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to be the guy yeah. that pushes you into it. You got to get the okay from your dad mm-hmm. first. Talked to my dad about it. And he, he, he was, he was supporting me since day one, go mm-hmm. for it, do your thing. And, uh, he went out and told my grandpa without me there first that I wanted to fly and do what he did. And my grandpa was not happy. Really? He, no, he was not. Huh? It, there was, there was some cussing and swearing going, <laughs> tell him to stay out of those damn things and blah, huh. blah, blah, this, that, and another. But, but then once I actually started to get into it, went down and got my private, came back and worked, went down and got the other ratings. Um, he was super supportive. Mm-hmm. It was super cool. So when you decide to get your pilot's license, it's, there's a lot of different phases to it and you can kind of stop whenever you want to, you just got a, another certification. So what's the process between your initial certification and then now where you're ready to fly, was it Learjets or what yeah. are you doing now? Yeah. So, um, you got to go down and get your private first and then you got to build some time, uh, which I, I was thankful enough to be able to build some time here on the waterfront. But, uh, for me to do that, I had to get a seaplane rating. So I had to get a private, had to go to get a seaplane rating, came here, built some time, and then had to go back down south, had to get an instrument rating, which we don't fly instruments here in town. Mm-hmm. It's all VFR stuff, but you still have to have it to, I think it's, so you can go with like further than 25 miles or something away from like the original base. I don't know, something like that. And then uh, got to build some more time Then you got to go get your commercial rating. And then you have to get a commercial seaplane because you got to get another seaplane since I normally people just get the seaplane after they get their commercial. So you don't have to pay for it twice. Mm-hmm. But in order for me to build time up here, I had to get the seaplane for the private as well. So I had to buy that twice, but it was no big deal for me. Well, <laughs> it was a big deal, but um, so I had to get it twice and then um, had to build some more time here. had to build up to... Um, 500 hours and then you can start flying on the waterfront Mm. and then that basically got me to flying floats on the waterfront and then i had to get a multi-engine rating because i knew this isn't all i wanted to do was this stuff so i took some time off one of the winters went down to florida for a couple weeks got a multi-engine rating just to have in my back pocket Mm because i knew i wanted to go do something eventually and then um tried to get on with uh ace out of anchorage that didn't work out they were requiring some stuff that I that I didn't want to be a part of. And so um, my dream job was always to fly for Guardian here in town. It's always been full-time Guardian and flying floats on my days off. And so then finally they had a spot open up in town and I knew all the right guys. And so they just sent me to class down in Dallas. And so I was able to uh, get my SIC type in a Lear. And they, they paid for it? You said they sent you down? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I was talking to a couple kids about trade school and a lot of times there's opportunities for them to sometimes your employer will get the certification for you they'll pay for you to get that and that's a great thing to look into some people think they don't know a what to do and they don't know b how to pay for it but by asking questions and being around there's a lot of opportunities that that's the hardest part really is trying to come up with the money to do it all each rating is back in the day it used to be a lot cheaper but nowadays it's well when i did it few years ago it was anywhere between like 10 and 15 per rating you got Hmm. seaplanes are cheaper seaplane ratings are only like 2500 bucks or something but uh my dad thankfully helped me out with my first one to kind of get me into it Mm -hmm. and then instrument and commercial i was kind of on my own i had to figure out ways to try and squeak money here and there refinancing something or asking other people like employers if they'd help me out and Mm -hmm. 
doing that kind of stuff. So you have different airplanes, you know, I, as a non-aviator, mm-hmm. uh, this, this is kind of a comparison I'm making that some people, like we have a skiff and I love the skiff yeah. for its freedom, for its, you can get into small areas, but it's really nice to also be on like a 30 foot North river. Oh yeah. So when you're flying, do you like the larger planes for the commercial and for all the electronics and for all the, just, this is a, this is an awesome aircraft, but you have a soft spot for the float plane or how does that, uh, like what's big, your favorite plane? I'm a big fan of the turbine otter a lot. It's got a, uh, I flew the Beaver for a while. I still fly the Beaver now too, but my soft spot's probably the Turbine Otter. It's just, it's got a lot of power. It's, um, I don't know, it's just a turbine engine rather mm-hmm. than a radial. They tend to have less problems engine-wise. Those radials are so old. But, I mean, beautiful airplane. The Beaver, it's proved itself. Yeah, for sure. For over the past years. Um, but my soft spot's definitely the Otter. And now that I'm just starting to get into the jet, it's my first IFR job. It's my first real flying job is what they call it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I've, I haven't flown the plane yet. I've only just went down the simulator. But the simulator is, it's liter- it's the airplane without the wings, mm-hmm. really. It's full motion. You jump in it. You jump into the cockpit. Everything's the exact same. All the switches, the yoke, the seats, everything is literally identical to the airplane. Mm. And then... uh they turn the motion on and then you taxi out and you can feel the plane taxiing oh, wow. in the full motion. Then when you take off and pull the nose up, you, you sit back in your seat a little bit. Wow. But, um, I'm going to really like flying the Lear. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's fast. It's really fast. Yeah. It's about 300 cruise at about, I think roughly about 300 knots or so. Oh, what does a, what does your otter get to? Uh, red lines, 133 miles an hour. Okay. <clears throat> generally we cruise them around at like, I don't know, 110, 120. Okay. The beaver sits at about 105, 110, a little slower. Yeah. But the otter can just pack so much weight. Mm-hmm. A couple thousand pounds. Yeah. The beaver fits about a thousand. We took both of those for like growing up on Prince of Wales. That was how we got around for a lot of the basketball trips. Yeah. So sometimes it'd be two of a, split the team into two beavers and then going from cake to Angoon and it just feels like you're just crawling over and getting bounced around. But you know, that was that Promec pack air. We took, um, Promec. We did some pack air. Um, when we first got here, it was Temsco. Oh yeah. Uh, so way back. Yeah. And then I think Taquan was just starting to Get a little bigger. Yeah. At one point, Taekwon had Air One, I think, when they met, when they messed around with like a, a faster, wasn't like the Island Air, but it was something. I think it was my senior year, and it was a, a faster or a different plane that they were trying to get some flights up to Juno. Hmm. Um, I don't think it lasted real long, just because right. there's really not a lot of traffic to go right. to Juno. People right. want like a direct, but not enough people want it to really make it viable. I, th- I think um, Temsco tried to do stuff like that back in the day when hmm. they had fixed wing. Now they're just kind of strictly, or they are strictly helicopters. But back when they were fixed wing, I think they had some, uh, like, I, I think they're called Islanders or something like huh. that. They're kind of a bigger IFR kind of airplane. Maybe it was, maybe it was Temsco. Yeah, I know they messed around with some of that. Yeah. Or maybe even Catch Can Air, yeah. too. Yeah, but man, my, that was but that My was uncle wild. flew back in the day for uh, Temsco as well, so I got to hear a lot of stories. On mm-hmm. I still hear new stories every time, but... I don't mind hearing them because they're all learning experiences for me. Yeah. 
on yeah. what what not to do and what maybe <laughs> to do. Yeah, there's there's just growing up around here, you hear stories, and there's always times when you know you're going for a window, or you know you have to drive to Hollis to be able to fly over to here yeah. to catch a can because you can't get through the pass, whatnot. But yeah. yeah, it's just kind of kind of right of a passage. You're either doing it for flying hunts or you're yeah. you know doing it for sports or whatnot. I was super thankful too. I got to learn from from the best, like uh, Steve Cam, Jeff Carlin, um, JJ Jackubeck, my grandpa. I'm missing a lot, but there's a whole bunch of good, really good guys mm-hmm. that were here in town that have been, I've been more than thankful that they've, I've just got to be able to just sit down and have conversations with them. Just them giving me tips. Like mm-hmm. I can name a lot of quotes from different guys and uh, they're just telling me, just telling me stuff to just help me keep myself alive. Yeah. Just small stuff. Yeah. But it's all, it's all great stuff. It's yeah. all, there's that, what's that saying? There's like old, bold, or there's no, no old, bold pilots, but there's bold, old pilot or something, yeah, some, something, yeah, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere yeah. around those lines. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that a lot with the, with the fishing too. Like there's, you have to go for it, but also you don't, you gotta be smart. With you gotta know there, your limits. Yeah. Um, some kids I recommend leaving catch can cause that's what's best for them. Other people, it makes total sense to come back here and be able to do something it's you can have a good life up here in Ketchikan. Right. So um, are you totally set and loving it here? Cause it seems like you're making the best out of it. I've, I don't know. I've, I kind of told myself in high school that I was never going to leave. I don't like, I, I like Ketchikan too much. I'm too, I don't know. I mean, part of me would think it'd be cool to go check out like something else for a little while, mm-hmm. but now I'm kind of set with what I'm doing yeah. and I don't regret it at all. I love it here in hunting and fishing and, if I'm not flying on my days off, I'm spending time in the woods or going up to my dad's house and helping mm-hmm. him work on the boat, work on the house. I don't know. I'm just, I'm too involved. I think mm-hmm. just in kind of like the Southeast hobbies. Yeah. Well, I think that's the important thing too, to be able to have something that makes life not just like I'm, I'm a 19 year old with an entry level job. I'm a 20 year old with an entry level job. Like you can make the most of living here and right. you're in that group of people in the circle of people who really make the best of living here. Yeah. There are kids that, you know, I grew up on in Prince of Wales again in Cloak and said, well, why are you back? I said, well, I'm kind of back on my own terms and mm-hmm. I kind of saw things and I'm making the choice now that this is better rather than being stuck here. And that's a huge difference. Right. Choosing here on purpose with some skills and with something to have a fun life mm-hmm. rather than be stuck here and always wonder what it's like out there. Right. Cause you could go anywhere you wanted to, if you, yeah. you and your wife wanted to go. Yeah. We can pack up and go anywhere, but now we got a couple dogs and a cat. So <laughs> it makes it kind of a pain in the butt to even get out of the, to get mm-hmm. out of town for a couple weeks. You got to find a dog's hitter. Yeah. It's kind of a pain, yeah. but so what about that, uh, filling in the gaps, the, the life part, uh, when you're away from work, I know you do a lot of hunting. It seems like every year I see you at least once, uh, when we're out there. Yeah. Um, what the, what's your favorite part of, of the hunting, the fishing? What is it? Uh, definitely hunting. I mean, I like to fish too, but I mean, hunting season's only for so long. So when it's hunting season, I try and spend a lot of days in the woods. There's a lot of days where if the weather's, the weather's crap, I just show up to work and eh, we're not gonna, really going to do anything today. You guys can head home. Mm-hmm. All right. So I normally will jump in my truck by nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and drive out the road and hunt and yeah. hunt until dark. Nice. Um, now that summer's rolling around, probably trying to get some fishing in with the longer days, Mm -hmm. take the boat out. But, uh, I don't know. I like to spend a lot of time in the woods. 
and uh, got some friends too that are really in the trapping. Hmm. And so I've been tagging along like with wolf them trapping? on that. Wolf, Wolverine, yeah. Martin, Ooh, nice. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I've got to tag along with them a lot and that's been super cool. I yeah. didn't really grow up trapping a lot. Uh, my grandpa did it, but um, my dad didn't really do it much. He tagged along with his dad, my grandpa, a lot. So he got to do it, but I never, I never really did it. Mm-hmm. But tagging along with my buddies going to do that, that's a blast. Yeah, super fun. I've gone out a couple of times with friends who are wolf trapping and just seeing what it takes to get a wolf. They're yeah. so unbelievably smart. Yeah. And when people talk about them being trapped into extinction, think, absolutely not. No, there's so many Zero wolves. chance of that. So I was out wolves. once and they had, it was a bait set and there were five traps that were buried in the mud flat around the bait set. Yeah. And they had walked around it and one of the traps was dug up and pulled out yeah. without being sprung yeah they're they're crazy how does anybody ever get a wolf if they're that smart to do it so some people do like the uh i think there's like there's like scent posts that you can do and then um uh i'm new to it and there's the there's the wire that they walk through yeah Yeah, snares yeah yeah. and there's all sorts of different ways yeah it but it it takes so long to get good if unless you have a mentor if you're just out there kind of fumbling around it's gonna take forever so just knowing how to treat the traps finding a good spot and just, yeah, it's, it's I wish wild. I got the tag along with my grandpa. I was too young, but when he was trapping, he used to always take planes out, mm. put the plane up to the beach, go check his traps and then tie the wolf to the float and bring it back to town. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. Or he would, uh, a lot of tidal stuff. So you'd go somewhere on a low tide, set it on a flat mm. and then let the tide kind of take care of it, put yeah. it out of its misery. And then he'd come mm-hmm. when the tide went back out and he'd throw it in the plane. Yeah, that old, uh, not really old. Like the, the old, old 20s and 30s is super interesting. But also, you know, you go up by Bell Island and there's the hot springs there. And That's you beautiful. S- Have you been up there? I haven't been up there, but I saw some pictures. And Rick Collins remembers going up there as a kid and going to the pool and getting sunburned and whatnot. But so Bell, Bell Island is privately owned mm-hmm. by the Eichners here in town. They bought it. A while ago. Not, yeah. I don't, I don't know when it was. Yeah. But, uh. And uh, Daniel Eichner, his family owns it. Uh, he was a couple years older than me. You remember Daniel? Yeah, I think he was He was in my science fiction lit class my first year. I think he was a senior that first year. Super good guy. Aviation kind of brought us together. But uh, he ended up being the best man at my wedding. Cool. So we got super close. And we had my bachelor party up at Belle Island Hot Springs. Oh, nice. So we went up and hung out in the cabin and went up and went to the pools. And super cool. I've been mm-hmm. up there a couple times now. And it's, it's cool. I'd like to check out the... Uh, the other one that's super close, um, Bailey Bay, Shiloka. Mm, yeah. There's that other hot spring up there. Mm-hmm. That one's public, but a little bit of a hike, but that would be yeah. a cool one too. So that, the Bell Island one, I don't know if you know a lot of the history about it. I really don't, but I, it was privately owned, and but open, so people could go there. Yeah. And then it was sold to someone else, and then that's when it came into disrepair because there's a right. huge gap in its history where it kind of just deteriorated. And right. then the Eichners bought it, and are they... Right, but back in the day, there was like a long time ago, there was like a dock up there and there was like a little like mm-hmm. some sort of facility. Wasn't it like a fishing facility or something? I going think on there, up there was. A canner- not a cannery, but something I, similar around those lines. I, I think I saw two things. I think it was Rick Collins that showed me there was this old advertisement where you could fly out of Ketchikan to the hot springs. So there was structure for there, but mm-hmm. there was also some sort of other... I don't know if it was a, ha- a cannery or some sort of right. fishing area because I think Dave White fished out of there a little bit. I, I, know, I know a lot of that up there is kind of torn down now. Mm-hmm. Like there was a whole bunch of houses and 
little cabins up there. A lot of that's torn down. Mm -hmm. There's just kind of one place up there that actually is decent now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, I, I think about, it seems like Ketchikan is in its prime right now, but I think, ah, maybe before was, was in its prime when the mall was, you know, had stores. So I think about <laughs> right. maybe when I was in high school, maybe that was the prime, but then that was right after the pulp mill went out. And right. so you just keep kind of going back like the pros and cons of each time that you were living here. And now it's just all tourist pace. Yeah. Just everybody looks forward to the whole, well, a lot of people look forward to the tourist season in a certain degree. Some people don't like it. Some people like it for their, for their business. Some people think it's just a pain just because mm -hmm. you're driving. You can't get through town without almost running somebody over. Yeah. What's your favorite part of, because you do a lot of like like tours or, or flyouts or what's your. So uh, we, at Taquan, you do a lot of, uh, we do some tours. You know, we, we do a fair amount of tours, like a bear tour, Missy Fjord tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a mail contract for Prince of Wales. So we deliver a lot of mail. So kind of a glorified mailman at that, nice. on, that on that kind of perspective of it. Uh, I like the mail runs when they can send you up on like a four or five stopper, go up to the North end of Prince of Wales, hit oh, cool. like Knockety yeah. Edna, Protection Baker. Like you can get up there. Those are the coolest flights. Mm -hmm. You build a relationship with all the agents you have that work for you up there and you see them all as family. So mm -hmm. that's like the best part. You like the solitude too when you're flying. You don't have to worry about pointing stuff out or oh, yeah. anything. It's Bo just boxes yeah. don't talk and they don't care. If it, <laughs> they, they don't care if it's rough out. Yeah, like if it's bumpy, they don't. They don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where That's people nice. people are asking where the six acts are if it's a rough day, and then you feel bad for even bringing them out because yeah. it's rough and they're getting sick, and you're supposed to have a quality tour. But on, there's just some days where it's just like oh, today's just really not the day to. Yeah. Today's the day where you can get a lot of a lot of stuff done but it's just certain stuff. Mm -hmm. There's just some days where it's, it's, it's tour quality and there's some days where it's not tour quality. Yeah. Yeah. But the days that I fly for sea wind, um, that's my family, but that's basically, um, there, there are a lot of tourist based stuff, a lot of tours, but they have a lot of charter stuff too. Mm -hmm. So like they like provide like waterfall and like a whole bunch of different fishing lodges over on Prince of yeah. Wales. So that, that's nice too. Um, it's I don't know. I'm tired of going to the Missy Fjords and I've only been doing it for like three or four years. <laughs> I can't imagine how my uncle feels. He's been doing this for shoot 30 years or something wild like that. I can't imagine hmm. going to the fjords or how many times he's gone out to the fjords. It's crazy. Yeah. Those are, it's unbelievable. It's beautiful. It is. Been doing the same thing over and over. I have some guide buddies, same thing with fishing. They love people taking people out, but after a while it's kind of a grind. Yeah, but then you get like a, the right group, and all of a sudden that makes it's super it a lot because cool they're excited. Easier. Yeah, when you can have people back there, kind of just where I'm not the only conversation starter. Like I'll point something out, and then they say something, and so then I can go off what they're saying, mm -hmm. and the conversation can just roll, and then it goes. The tour goes a lot quicker, goes a lot better. Mm -hmm. Where there's some people where you're just saying stuff, and they just kind of sit there, and they're just, just. I mean, they're just listening. I mean. Mm -hmm. that, I, I get that. Some people just want to listen, but some people will speak up and it, it goes a little better. I'd say, well, not necessarily better, but just it flows. Yeah. Kind of like journalism class, but maybe a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's so wild. It, it's cool to see the people who like they pay the money to come up here and appreciate it. It's amazing mm -hmm. how many people come up here and have a very entitled attitude where they want to see everything on their own terms and it's going to be sunny and it's going to be calm and it's going to be perfect. And if it's not, then right. it's like, uh, well, where I mean, do you think that you can just have everything that you want? <laughs> right. 
No, the, the, the Misties are cool. I shouldn't be dogging them. I mean, they're, they're, they're beautiful. And, and, uh, I see why people want to go out there. Yeah. The best part is like kind of the first part of the season when you still have the snow on the hills mm. back there. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, me and my wife, Havila, um, she was in a couple of, we were in those classes together. With oh you. yeah. You guys did the video recaps yeah. and whatnot. You yeah. brought the, the broadcast element to there. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, we, we got married out there in one of the lakes, oh, really? uh, uh, Lake Manzoni. We took, uh, what, four airplanes, one otter and three beavers out there. We got married on a beach That's out there awesome. in one of the lakes. It was beautiful. Yeah. How many people? I think it was like 20, we brought 22 okay. people out there. Nice. Kind of just like immediate family. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And then we came back and had a bigger reception in town where all, all of our friends came. Perfect. And family, friends and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The one thing that I don't think people are disappointed about, but when they think of Alaska, they think of glaciers. But you have to kind of get the the Petersburg area where you have a lot more of those glaciers that are pretty close to town. Yeah, and yeah. then um, up to you know Glacier Bay, obviously, and then Juneau has one you know right in the right in the valley there. Right. But not having one in Ketchikan, that's kind of like the one thing. It is misty and, and it's beautiful, but you know we just don't have that glacier, and people are kind of like this seems more like Washington than anything. So mm, a lot kinda. of people, a lot of people ask, are we going to see any glaciers? It's like, uh, not really, not really necessarily here. If you get back towards like Hyder. You can see the uh, Sol. I think it's Sol Glacier. But that's a little ways out of the way. Like, it's not really where... If you do, like, an expanded tour, if if that's an option, I don't know if that's an option, um, then you can get up there and check that mm. out. But you need a little bit more time. Mm. Generally, we do, like, an hour flight, hour and 15 minutes or so. So that's enough time to get out there, do some circles, kind of check out the falls, check out maybe a couple goats on the hills mm. and land... 10 minutes on the water, let them step out and just kind of get like the, uh, the silence out there. That's the best part is yeah. the silence and then flying back to town. Yeah. You thought about some of the interior Alaska, um, taking your super lightweight up onto a mountain and doing caribou or doll sheep hunting. That, or? That'd be cool. I don't know. I've never really got into that kind of stuff. Um, I've always just hunted blacktail. Um, Last year, I went on a brown bear hunt with a buddy. We took a boat out and got to the mainland, did a brown bear hunt. Didn't shoot anything. Um, saw a handful of them, but we're kind of new to kind of what's male, what's female, mm -hmm. what's cub, what's a big cub, like kind of just knowing the difference between all of them. And so we didn't, we didn't shoot anything, but the experience was super cool. Mm -hmm. But I think getting up there, I drew the elk tag a couple years ago on Edelin. I wasn't able to make it. I was pretty bummed, but... Um, I don't know. It'd be cool. There's a lot of people in the interior. I think, you know, Alaska per capita has more uh, private owned planes and pilot's license per capita than anywhere else in the United States. That makes sense. You have a lot of people just getting their privates and they buy a float plane and they buy, you know, ultralight that they can fly in somewhere so they can do their yeah. hunting. It's like the, that's the key. That's the ticket to get away from other people. Right. Whereas here, it's kind of the boat. Like you said, it's, do I have a nice enough boat that I can get away from people? then have that solitude and have that good hunting experience. But in the interior, man, if you got one of those planes and you can go like find a, a super strip, cup. that'd be, yeah, that'd, yeah. Be, that'd be sweet. That would be, that's, that's how my uh, grandpa kind of started flying. It was up there out of Bethel. My, uh, my grandma, he, he had his own uh, 135 out of, out of Bethel. It was a 180 on wheels and skis and floats, but just kind of depended on the year. But my grandma's dad actually bought it for him mm. up there in Bethel. That's kind of how he started going, was flying out of Bethel. And then he came down here. He was from here, from Seattle. But he kind of came back here after having some of that kind of stuff going on up there. Mm. 
but I, I've never flown up there in the interior. I think it'd be cool, but it's different flying up there. Yeah. And I then mean, it's it, a ways away. You know, it's not like it's a hassle to get up there. Yeah. People say, well, do you go her- caribou hunting every year? I'm like, no, Southeast Alaska is a long way away. Right. It's a considerable amount of money and planning and time to, to even get up there and try to make something happen. Well, there's like a, there's Alaska flying. There's Alaska flying in general, and then there's like Southeast flying, which is like what we do down here. We all have our, you have your skill set down here, and then you go up north, and it's a different kind of Alaska flying. So like all the guys up there have their skill set up there, and then we have our skill set up down here, mm-hmm. which I mean, it goes, it, it can mix, but it's just, it's going up there, it's different, and yeah. coming down here, it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if we covered this on. Like right before or right now? So you fly for not one specific airline. You're kind of like a, a freelance yeah. contractor. You're with <laughs> Taquan. I just kind of go, I go around. I get around. <laughs> uh, I fly for Taquan. Uh, they got me going. Uh, Brian, he, he got me going to kind of where I am today. More than thankful for that. Couldn't have done it without him. Um, he got me to where I am. Uh, so I fly for him. Flew for him full time for uh, two and a half, three years, roughly. And then, uh, last summer I helped my uncle out a little bit on my days off at Taquan. So I was staying pretty busy last summer. Um, which that's what summer's for. You stay. That's what, yeah. And then, uh, just got hired on with guardian. And so I'll, it's, it's like a two week on two week off schedule at guardian. So I'll fly for guardian medevac. And then on my days off, I'll help out sea wind and Taquan as well. Nice. Do you kind of like the freedom? I like moving around. It, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to miss flying floats full time. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Just cause I, I got a soft spot for flying float planes. Yeah. It's I a mean, lot of fun. Catch a can. That's, that's your Southeast right, right there. But getting on with this, this has always been my goal. And so I'm super excited for what is going to come here mm-hmm. really shortly. Yeah. I got to go back down to Dallas for a little bit more training here in about a week for a week. And then I come home and I got to do a couple things and then I'll get online with Guardian. Cool. And then uh, speaking of excited, uh, you got uh, adult league basketball this, uh, this <laughs> yeah. afternoon. Yeah, I got I got a men's league game later this <laughs> afternoon that I'm going to go to. Uh, how's that going? You guys still got the three-point shot, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of your specialty in high school. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I remember I had Coach Shaner back in middle school and he used to give us like nicknames. Mm. And he's like, yeah, Max, he doesn't ever see a shot he doesn't like. <laughs> but it, it's a lot of fun. I got a lot of buddies on my team. It's like uh, me, Shakim, Shakim Bauer, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and like uh, Kyle Smith's on it, and uh, Stephen, Stephen Perro. Okay. There, there's a few of us on there. Where it, it's, it's a ton of fun. And then once summer rolls around, I just had Gavin. Gavin Salzer yeah. text me a couple of days ago. He said, hey, you want to play on our men's league uh, softball team? Oh, okay. Said, of course. Of course. Yeah. Oh, I did that fun. for a couple of years when I was back here and it's fun to see just like the, the recreation part of it. Just go there, have fun. It's competitive yeah. enough to where it's not just silliness, but there's always a couple of people who get a little bit. Well, with that softball, crazy. it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's just like adult, it's adult league softball. And so you go out there and play, well, basically you go out there and drink beer and you play <laughs> softball too. It, <laughs> that's that's kind of what that yeah. could stay hydrated. Of. Right. Yeah. But but it, it it's a ton of fun. Just to kinda of hang out with all your buddies. Mm-hmm. That's like one thing that I miss most about high school is like seeing all my friends every day. I never yeah. thought I'd say I'd miss high school. But it, it's more of like you don't really stay in touch with your friends as much anymore. Yeah. 
some guys leave town, they go to college, they come back. Some of them don't come back. And so yeah. it's good kind of in the summer when people are coming back kind of on break, you can start to catch up. Yeah, I noticed that. Like, it was pretty easy for me to live uh, or to leave Klawak, but then you still miss the friends and you still kind of have, like I have a buddy that's in Skagway. And I was like, ah, oh, I got to go up to Skagway and see Lars. Yeah. But it's kind of a long way to get up there. Right. You know, if you take the ferry, it's going to take you a week and still be really expensive. So it's kind of a hassle to get up there. So you feel kind of bad that like your best high school friend you don't ever see. Right. And then leaving college, same sort of thing. It's like exactly. you're really close to these people for a while and then it's you're not around them anymore. Exactly. Kind of, but but I, don't, I don't know. I've been uh, doing a lot of f- flying and, but like staying in touch with friends. I've, I don't know. I've gotten into golf lately. Oh dude. Yeah. It is so much fun. Yeah. That's great. It, it, I, and I remember I used to dog golf. I was like, golf is just. I think dog. everybody starts off dogging it. Yeah, yeah, I just hate golf. But now, like, I love it. I, yeah. I'm always going to play virtual golf. And when I go out of town, I try and go hit up a golf course yeah. and drive the carts around. I'm not very good, but it's just, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. And I want to get good. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to the point where uh, some buddies and I would golf on Wednesdays after school because there's like four of us in the English department that we like to golf. Yeah. And there's this. It was an executive uh, par three, so mm-hmm. everything is a lot shorter, so you don't even need the driver, which is usually right. when, when things go wrong. <laughs> but we'd go Definitely. there, and it was seven bucks for nine holes, so super cheap, yeah. terrible course, but just fun to just yeah. spray them around. Was that here in town? No, that was in California when oh. I was teaching down there. Oh. But super great, just walking around, walk off the day, and then just, it was fun. Yeah. And some days you have good days, other days you don't, but it doesn't. I was never competitive with golf the way I was competitive with basketball. Mm-hmm. So if I just chucked one into the orchard, it didn't really matter. You, scrap, like, you just pick up another ball? I and was you just... <laughs> letting that one go. Like, I'd be a little bit frustrated, yeah. but I wasn't like, man, you know, my, my handicap is this. Or, you know, I was right. I was 10 over today. You know, I'm It's just so like, frustrating. Uh, yeah. It is yeah. so frustrating. Yeah. Just leave it. it leave it. If, if I shoot for par on one hole, I'm like stoked. Yeah. Because that... that that doesn't happen very much. It's, no. it's normally like triple bogey. Yeah. <laughs> you put one on the green, so, okay, I got a chance for eagle, and you end up with a double bogey. Like, how does this happen? Yeah, because you, you putt it past the hole like mm-hmm. five times in a row. It's like, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> and then you just, then the, if you do something good and you get a par, you get a bogey, the next hole you're going to get destroyed. Yeah. And that's just, it doesn't. Exactly. You hit one club fine. I'm hitting my nine iron, nine iron awesome, but because my three and five are horrible, it's all over. Right. You but always go back to like your default club. It's like, well, I know the seven, so I'm just gonna hit. Seven. I'm just gonna hit the seven. Just like Roy McAvoy, that <laughs> tin cup right there, the seven. Well, and I didn't know like, kind of with golf. I was just a baseball player, so I was trying to swing it kind of like a baseball mm-hmm. bat, which it's it's somewhat similar, but it's different. There's a certain art. And so my uncle is trying to show me like how to actually swing a club and like get the form and like mm-hmm. how to fix if you're just slicing it and slicing and slicing and slicing. And so I've learned a lot. I want to buy some clubs, but I want to get better before I spend some money on yeah, some yeah. clubs. They're expensive. Yeah. That is, like, I think the one thing I miss about living down South was just having that. If you wanted to go to a nice uh, course, you could, mm-hmm. but having just a course available, it's yeah. fun to just, just. Well, but when I was just do down it. in Dallas for training, I had a day off and I just went straight to the golf course <laughs> and I played 18. I drug one of my sim partners with me. He doesn't play golf at all. Mm. And I drug him with me. I was like, come on, just, I, I need some company. Just come with me. And he tried. Yeah. Were you under a hundred or over? Or did you keep score? Oh, I, it, I kept score way when I was way over a hundred. It's, oh, nice. it's, it's not very good. Hey, I, I go to virtual grounds here in town and mm-hmm. kind of mess around on the virtual side of it. And that's a ton of fun too. They have mm-hmm. a cool setup down there. 
And I think I'm normally shooting like 130. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're having fun, as long as you come back to it. I know I'm bad, but it's it's a ton of fun just to go and just yeah. get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what else you got, man? What's um, what else do you have to say about uh, Ketchikan aviation or living in Ketchikan or hunting or fishing or anything that you're looking forward to? Uh, hmm. Aviation wise, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about it. I don't know where I'd be without it now. I wouldn't want to do anything different. And so I'm, I'm glad I got into it and I had a lot of supporters getting me into it, giving me tips and tricks and all sorts of stuff. And I don't know where I'd be without it, but I, that's, it's, it's, uh, takes a lot of time out of your, out of your, uh, out of your, just your life really. Like I remember going in, I would only work at TAC back when I, cause I started on the dock. I was a dock hand for like three or four years while I was trying to get my, all my licensing in between. And so on my days off, I'd just go in and just help tie up planes and fuel planes and ride around with all the old timers. I wouldn't even get paid, but I didn't care. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. I used to always go in on my days off. My wife never said, well, it was my girlfriend at the time. Now my wife, she never saw me. I was just days off. I was always in attack one every day. And, uh, that's, that's kind of, I think that's kind of what it takes. You just go in and ride around with all the old timers and see how they do stuff and mm-hmm. ask questions. Right. And, uh, and they, they want to see you succeed. They, they know that there's going to be another generation that comes up. So they want to help you out mm-hmm. and they have such a heart for it too. They're, yeah. they're there to help you. So that, that was, uh, that kept me busy. But then once, once winter rolls around, the weather gets bad. So you take some time off and you do a lot of deer hunting just ended up getting a boat that I could sleep in and nice. put a four wheeler on the back. And so I, I'm taking that to a lot of different places. Well, there's only a couple places where, <laughs> where you can right. take a four wheeler exactly. too without giving them away. But, yeah. but, uh, now I kind of, I do that a lot on my days off, a lot of hunting kind of on my days off. I don't really spend times in there, spend the time in the airplane because I'm always in the airplane. Mm-hmm. So I try and spend it either hiking with the wife or, or just, hiking the hiking a mountain and just bringing a gun with just in case yeah. or taking the dogs for a walk or something, but stay busy. Tried to catch a winter King a couple of times this winter and haven't had much luck with that. No, it could be nice to have some of these drags by yourself, but then you think no one else is out here. Right. You know, there's yeah. probably a reason for it. Yeah. But if you catch a King, you feel like you're winter Kings are ever. hard. Yeah. I don't know. I've asked buddies like, what do you guys use? And some of them will tell me and they'll help me out a little bit. Oh, this guy, what general area are you guys going? <laughs> How deep you fishing? What kind of tackle are you using? Yeah. Some of them help me out. Like some of my charter buddies. And, uh, I don't know. It stays, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just hard. I got a heater in the boat so I can stay out for longer it periods helps, of time yeah. without getting frustrated. Yeah. Normally when you're out there and you don't have a heater in the boat and then you're just cold and you're not catching fish. And so then you get even more frustrated quicker. Yeah. Now I can kind of stay warm and just get frustrated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not as bad. Makes a big difference. But. but I didn't catch any this year so far. I don't know. Do they shut down Kings for a little while? They do. I'm not exactly sure when it is, but then it opens back up with the terminal run here. But right. yeah, it's probably, sure. they're probably going to shut it down. It's probably sh- getting shut down soon. I'd imagine. Cause mm-hmm. I think, what does it open up back in, is it June? June 15th for everything else. Right. Um, the terminal one down here, I think it's the first. Right. But so they'll probably shut it down soon. But I've been trying to help my dad get his boat. He just got a boat, a bigger Bayliner boat. It's more of like a cabin cruiser. But I've been trying to get him 
helping him kind of get that thing in full swing so when summer rolls around he can put it in the water and yeah. use that a lot he's got more of like the like the comfortable boat or mine's just more of like a you can sleep two guys but it's not necessarily very comfortable yeah yeah if you want to be hardcore yeah the skiff is nice because you can get into all those little areas and some of those trolling areas there's little like little pockets off to the side where larger boats can't go right. so the skiff is nice to be able to, get, to make a nice drag closer to shore right in those pockets and you can get kind of away from a little bit of the power trollers too yeah right power trollers kind of they don't really care if yeah. if you're in the way not really especially if it's a skiff yeah but then as soon as you hook up on a skiff it's a it's chaos yeah. it is absolute <laughs> oh, yeah. chaos the boats rock and su- super fun though. yeah it's, you got both you got cool. one guy standing on the edge you're on the same edge he's trying to dip net the fish and the boat's yeah. tipping over yeah then if there's if it's rough then it's even even yeah. more interesting yep and people watching and yeah it's it's but chaos, the adrenaline is what oh yeah the adrenaline is what gets you to keep doing it yeah. Speaking of fresh, I mean, you can have, you can lose 15 balls in one hole and it still isn't compared to losing a king at the boat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That happens. Shoot downrigger balls are like 40 bucks or something yeah. like that. So when you lose them, it's gosh. Yeah. We're, I, uh, I normally have a couple spares on the boat. Trolling out north and I was out of spares and I was like, all right, watch out. We got, uh, we got a rock coming up here. So I got to be careful. I told that to my wife and then immediately hit the rock and then didn't, it was an old crank downrigger and i didn't crank up fast enough so just it just caught broke off and that was it i said jeez oh, we have nothing yeah <laughs> you're only fishing one downrigger no yeah that was it we only had one downrigger so oh. that was it. yeah <laughs> so, it was single downrigger i had this old 15 foot boston whaler and then i didn't have any kidney weights or anything else to to mooch or anything so that yeah. was the end of the day so, <laughs> like 15 minutes in just stupid oh, gosh. But, right when you're about to hit the tide just right it was going to be a yeah. wide open day but it's gonna be a great day but <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I, yeah. I just upgraded to some electric downrigger so i'm looking forward to using that oh, this summer. So nice yeah I've, I've never really my dad's boat always had them so whenever i took his out i got the advantage of having those but it's so they're so much nicer yeah, than having the hand not crank. even close yeah when we um had a 21 foot uh, north river and then sold that to kind of help make sure we had enough money for the house right. and get the stuff that we wanted to with that. So when we got back in the game, we got brand new 18 foot Lund and had uh, plugs put in for the for downriggers. So it's nice to have. Is there electric? electric? Ones. You yeah. have electric on your? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's super nice. Super nice. So now you got to upgrade and get a bigger boat. Now that you guys have the house. Maybe, yeah. But uh, I think for now, we'll keep this for a little while. We can put our e-bikes on there and get out to e-bikes. to spots to. Yeah, I got some e-bikes. Is that just like, just an electric bike? Yeah. With like little motors on it? Yeah. So you have to charge them then? Yeah. But they're like, it's built, it's a Baku. They're built by like hunters down in Utah. Yeah. So it's like meant for. Really? When we saw you at that one dock. We didn't have the e-bikes, did we? No. No. You you guys just had, I think your in-laws in town. You guys were just kind oh, of Oh, we're just cruising. Around. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys bring out your e-bikes? Oh, yeah. That's cool. They get, they get going pretty, I mean, when you're hunting, you're generally going slow, but do they get going pretty quick? They can get going pretty quick. Um, and I think we get about 40 miles for a charge, but we haven't, uh, we haven't really pushed it right. and we don't have like a backup battery or something like that, but we might do that, but they are, they're pretty nice. What the heck? They're pretty nice. Is there like little racks on them? Uh, you can get all kinds of accessories and well, stuff for them. Why not just get like a, like a little dirt bike? The e-bike is quieter. It's yeah. lighter. Yeah. Um, and then. Can you muscle them in and out of the skiff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're sixty. They're either sixty-seven or fifty-seven pounds. Oh, geez, that's it. So yeah, and they carry 
a, a nice load and mm -hmm. like i said they're quiet you still feel like you're kind of exercising a little bit because you're pedaling but it has pedal assist so when you're going uphill you just put on four pedal assist okay. and you can just sit down and pedal because right. the motor's doing most of the work right and then you can get more battery life if you if you do some more pedaling so, so if the battery dies you can just you can just bicycle it back to town yeah you better hope Worst that there's scenario. some downhill because they're, they're yeah. they are pretty pretty beefy but um yeah you could is there gears on that it? oh yeah man huh. yeah when we're done well, I'll, I'll show you them they're they're pretty they're pretty the sweet heck? yeah and i i just got a uh i got a four-wheeler that we take out there and but i just kind of got into like the motorcycle world and so mm -hmm. I, I bought a dirt bike out of wrangle for cheap it didn't run my dad helped me get it up and running it didn't take much it took a carburetor and like a stator but then it fired right up mm -hmm. what so, is it uh, it's a Honda 650. Yeah, those it's those like things an en are enduro. Yeah, a dirt bike kind of deal, street legal. Yeah. And so I kind of taught my dad taught me kind of like the basics on how to like drive one because I yeah. did, I didn't grow up on motorcycles. Yeah. I was always I grew up on four wheelers, and uh, I kind of taught myself how to drive it last summer. I ended up getting my motorcycle license and there you go. And now one of my coworkers he has like two little Honda 125s mm -hmm. that would be easier to muscle in and out of the and out of the boat. Even if you don't have a dock, like you can just get to like a landing, mm -hmm. just kind of put the boat up against the beach and kind of throw them out to your buddy. Yeah. So I'm thinking about buying another, another motorcycle. Yeah. Those 125s are pretty, pretty cool. They're kind of a, you see a lot of them, a lot of old ones kind of around here in Southeast right. to get on those roads. Um, but yeah, that I've seen a couple of people with e-bikes, but hmm. like these are, these are meant for the, for the, the outdoors. Heck? Yeah. That's crazy. They, they don't, you don't have to worry about like, Obviously, you don't have to worry about like rain or water. Or... No, um, there's a little bag you can put over the of the battery to mm -hmm. kind of keep the splash. But they're meant to they're meant, meant to be outside uh, outside and, and meant for it. But uh, you know, you got to store them in a nice dry place so you don't get. If you store them outside, they're going to corrode and yeah, the batteries going to get jacked yeah. up or light on fire or something like that. But it's right. a pretty stable, pretty stable system. So yeah, it'll be kind of a test because Utah and puddles and rain is different than. You know, 160 your, your inches of rain here. Rain. So, right. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been good so far. We got them partway through the season last year, so we used them a couple of times. Hmm. But uh, yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. Do you guys camp out there then when you guys go out there? Yeah, just we pitch have. A tent? Yeah. Huh. Um, just recently got a hot tent, one of those seek outside ones, and I saw that on sweet. on your Instagram. You guys looked like you guys hiked into some spot, and you guys had that little stove inside. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. It is. I did some googling after I saw that. Yeah. Just I was curious on them. It's, I hate the term game changer, but it's so nice to be able to get warm and it's like a fire warm is different than like a heater or a little buddy warm. Right. So you're in there and it's warm. I don't know. I've taken it to the Alpine a couple of times too with, uh, or my, my buddy has one and we've taken it to the Alpine, but that was more in like September ish. So I don't know if you take it to the Alpine or go up top because the whole thing weighs like eight pounds. So the stove, the stove, the stove pipe and the tent, it's like eight, eight nine pounds. pounds. Really? Yeah. It's crazy. The huh. stove pipe just rolls up. Um, the stove breaks down. And it's just wood. You just burn wood in it. Yeah. Just burn wood. So if you take in some, some small pieces or one of those like Viking press logs up there to kind of yeah. get things started, then you have to gather some other wood. So, and it burns it pretty quick. Is it get, warm enough in there to dry out some gear oh yeah what the heck? And that's when we were using that for a rut that was the big thing because you're walking around even if it's not raining you're going through the brush and you're getting wet everything's so walking through yeah. the musk eggs and stuff so if you keep feeding it then yeah you're going to get warm and dry but do, do you trust it to burn all day when you're not at camp or do, it, you, do you put it, it won't out? burn like if you get it hot and stoked before you go to bed you have cold you'll somewhere. still wake up and it'll be 
it'll be cold. There might be some coals left that you can stoke in the morning, but right. it's a pretty small stove, so it burns through the stuff pretty quick. Cook on it too then? Yeah, but being able to wake oh. up and just within seconds have the fire going, that's super nice. nice. Yeah, that's super cool. Super nice. I bought one of those Chinese diesel heaters oh. for in my boat. Yeah. And those things are pretty killer. Mm-hmm. I, I just run it off of like a like a little, like a two-gallon jerry jug. Mm-hmm. And I went out and uh, for like a three, four-day hunting trip, and I didn't run out. Nice. And I ran it. Not during the day when I was gone, but once I get back, I, I fire it up and let it burn the whole time. Yeah. And they don't burn anything, and they keep that. It's like a sauna in the boat. Dry out all your gear. Yeah. On low, you even get way too warm. You almost have to sleep at the lake outside of the sleeping bag. It just gets hot. <laughs> it makes such a difference when you can be warm and dry. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. And then you look, you know, think back to, like, what your grandpa and how hardcore he was when he was doing that because he wasn't having right. these nice amenities and no. eight-pound tents and whatnot. Exactly. But uh, just wool right heavy wool but i need need to upgrade my my tent i just have like a little walmart ozark trailer or whatever Mm. the heck those things are yeah one of those water repellent not necessarily waterproof but i i'm kind of i like the qu stuff a lot i got a lot of qu gear and i've been looking at their tents they're just so gosh darn expensive but i mean i've bought plenty of coats i don't know why i just haven't bought a tent (laughs) yeah it's uh... I don't like buying tents, and so when we bought the hot tent, it was like something new. And so I thought this is going to, for rut especially, it's going to be super nice to, especially if you're spending time, because the sun goes down at 4 o'clock, it's dark, and so you have, you know, 14 hours. Right. So if you're in a tent that you can stand up, you can dry out. You can stand up in there too? Yeah. Wow. Um, And then you're, you're feeding, you're doing something, there's room to move around, you're not just kind of damp and cold in the tent. It right. just makes for such a such a better experience. But there is no floor in it. You can buy I think you can buy a floor. So Oh there's no floor at all. there's no No floor. So huh. potential issues are um if you can't get a big enough spot in the forest, right, then you might get some some gaps and then right. you're gonna have air coming in. It's gonna be cold. Um, and then wherever you put it down, if there's moisture from the, from the ground or from the moss or whatever, then that's going to make it pretty humid in there. So you get some more condensation in there, oh. but you get it nice and hot and you put down a vapor barrier and then your sleeping pad, then your, t- um, uh, bag. You stay dry. Yeah. It's awesome. Huh? The heck? So, I'll have to look into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Seek outside is really good. Our golly has another one too. Does you have a hot tent? I'm sure they would at some point will. <laughs> I don't know. A hot tent is just like one with like one with a stove. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. I'm sure they do. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really looked too much into those tents, but well, it's the winter season, man. This is what, uh, you gotta get the gear now for, for next year. Right. Yeah. yeah. I normally like to try to do like one Alpine trip a year, try and have my uncle drop me off in a lake mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. But I normally do one once a year, but I generally go to the same spot. So normally I'll like stash a tarp up there and nice. like in like the in the side or yeah. something. Yeah, I'm curious about the the floorless tent in a the teepee up in the alpine can be sketchy because like I said we've done it twice and it was one day it was really really rainy but it wasn't super super windy mm-hmm. and there's a lot more surface area for it to catch. Right. Um, so I'm not sure how it performed there. And then also the floorless with all the mosquitoes. If you're in oh, August, gosh. the mosquitoes are terrible. I don't know. If you're just trapping them in there, or I don't right. know how that how that happens, but I think maybe if if you had no 
weight limit and you could get a hot tent in there to kind of do the cooking, dry stuff out and then sleep in the other tent just mm-hmm. to make sure that you weren't getting mosquitoes. Maybe that's to do right. it. I, I don't know, but yeah. we usually, I think we're going to plan on taking a regular tents up there for Alpine just because they're smaller because it's easier to pack and right. you don't necessarily need the heat. Not necessarily. Right. Yeah, I did, I, doing a lot of flying around, I see a lot of tents up on top of hillsides. People like, so I get to, I get to see all the spots that people are going to. <laughs> Interesting. I get, I get to yeah. see all the deer mm-hmm. flying over just like the hilltops in August yeah. or even late July, I'm always like looking down, looking for deer. Like, oh, I wonder if I should try this spot next year. Yeah. And you see some guy's tent up there. It's like, hmm, okay. Some, some, somebody else knows about this spot mm-hmm. too. Yeah. That's the thing. I, everyone knows where to go. Right. Nothing's secret. It's just a matter of whether or not the weather's going to cooperate and whether or not you're going to make it happen. Yeah. That tends exactly. to be kind of the main okay, things. You, you take a week off and then that, you, five of those seven days the weather's terrible and then yeah. you're like well i can't even go up there now yeah and so it's yeah if it doesn't match your schedule then it's that can kind of just haunt you the entire time right. right but then some people get lucky and they just schedule this weekend and this is the only weekend they have and it works out perfect for them mm-hmm. they fly into the lake they shoot mashers and then they fly out the day they're supposed to fly out yeah and no big deal i don't have that luck no i don't have that kind of luck no uh braden uh Lene does. Uh, i i like know braden and deegan they, uh, they i started do doing well uh, yeah, I've uh, I've been doing some hanging out with Braden. He's a really good guy, and uh, we've been uh, doing a lot of deer hunting together. Mm-hmm. We went out, we went out last year to a spot that I've only gone. I don't know. We just we went out to this spot, and I I told him I was like, you know, I've only ever been to this spot one time, but it was a good spot. I liked it. I didn't see any deer in there, but it was just one of those spots where you could tell like this this could be a good spot. It was a muskeg. It was right on the side of a tim like right on the side of the timber. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big muskeg. It was kind of a smaller one. It was a little bit of a hike to get back there. I thought it was a great spot. So it was one of those days where it was blowing like 30, 35 out of the southeast and just pouring down rain. And uh, we're out there hunting. I'm like, let's just let's just go check it out. So we get back there and and uh, you got to hike through a couple muskegs to get back to the spot that I liked. And right when we were coming up on this spot, I was like, all right, this is kind of, we're getting into it kind of where, where I thought would be a good spot. We come up over this hill and there's like this tree in the way and I kind of look at him and I think we're kind of like discussing like, shoot, should we like, should we blow the call or should we just kind of be discreet and keep moving or what do you think? And we're kind of, shoot, we weren't talking for maybe 10 seconds and we're like, ah, let's just keep going. So, all right. So we take like two steps to the left and we're like getting ready to work down this little hill and I look up and all I saw was just horns, just antlers. <laughs> And I knew it was big. I didn't know how big. I just kept telling myself, oh, I was just a three-point just so I wouldn't get discouraged. I was like, oh, it's just a three-point. No big deal. It's not a four-point. There's no reason to get super discouraged. I've never shot a four-point. Mm. I've shot a four-by-two, but I've never shot like an actual four-point. And so uh, anyways, he, I saw it, and it saw me at the same exact time. I was in front of Braden, and so I was getting ready to shoot. Me and the deer saw each other at the same exact time, and it just bolted. I didn't even have a chance to put one in the chamber. I didn't have a chance to even look, pull the scope up to it. It just, I had no time at all. I was so frustrated. And, um, Braden, we just started sprinting after it, just trying to just (laughs) get to it. We stopped, blew the call, rattled, grunted, tried to do everything we could to get this buck back. And it was like late September, no, it was like maybe mid September. So the horns were kind of bright Mm -hmm. and, uh, they're kind of spooked that time. Like it's kind of come across like a nice buck in September. I feel like it's pretty hard. Yeah. They're not dumb they're, and curious. Yeah. They're take off. smart, 
and they get spooked really easily. But we had the wind working for us that day, so the the woods were loud, and mm-hmm. so you could get away with stepping on a twig and yeah. not really getting too too upset about it. Anyways, miss, missed the buck. I was super super discouraged, and uh, Braden was like, "That was your four point." <laughs> and I looked at him. I was like, "No, it wasn't. Like, no, it, it was big, but it wasn't that big." He's like, "No, Max." I was looking at it and I saw it when you were dinking around with your gun, trying to shoot it. That was a four point. I was like, no, it wasn't. And so now we're all, all, we're all pissed off and we hunt the rest of the day. And, uh, even still I text him. I'm like, damn, he's like, I was just, I was thinking about it too. And we don't even have to talk about it. We just know (laughs) what we're thinking about. We went out like a couple weeks later after that and set game cameras up. I'm new to game cameras, set game cams in that spot. And we ended up seeing that buck on those game cams. And of course it was a nice symmetrical four point mm-hmm. had a cool little kicker. Nice. It was my, it, oh man, I'm, the, I'm still upset. You gotta be haunted it. by something, right? Yeah. And so then of course that I went out there to that same spot and I overhunted that spot, of course, mm-hmm. cause I knew he was there. And so I was going out there. I tried to go out there and I tried blowing the call. I tried to go out there and just maybe grunt this day, go out there and maybe just rattle this day. I even went out there and sat in the muskeg for like three hours, not making a peep <laughs> just to see if I could just get lucky again. And I never got to see him ever again. I was pretty discouraged. I kept calling in this spike that I kept picking up on my game cameras and that would get me even more upset. Like just go, go yeah, away. Get out. I'm not trying to get you go yeah. away. And so, uh, I think this, this July and August I'll probably spend, or well, July I'll set some cameras, and then once August, uh, maybe not August, but October rolls around, mm-hmm. I'll probably hunt my season away in that same muskeg. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple. I but I've put some game cameras down low through the year, and have seen nice big bucks in the muskegs down low in August and even into September. Right. And so it just you kind of get an idea that okay, up high is where the bucks are in August, and then down low for rut. But if a buck has everything it needs down low, it doesn't have to go up. You know, right. Well, it, you vice versa. Yeah. Vice versa too. I mean, if, if they have no reason to be pushed down, they're mm-hmm. going to hang out up top as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's no snow or anything to push them down, all the big ones are going to be up high. Yeah. I've tried I a think. lot more high muskeg stuff these last couple of years just to kind of see because everyone's doing beach hunting and the lowest muskegs possible. But right. it gets a little bit difficult because you don't have those hours on both ends. It's right. if you start and you hike up, by the time you get up there, it's already time to. Well, I you know, do I probably overhike too. Like I always, I feel like well, maybe not overhike, but I'm always like, I gotta get as far away off the road as mm-hmm. possible, and so I'll like, and I'll just kind of just point that way and just hike that way for just hours, and then I find myself way back, like I don't know, three four miles back, and then yeah. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, if I were to shoot something back here, the pack out would be insane. Horrible. Yeah, It'd be insane. It's kind of like playing to your strengths because when you get like some of the older guys who are super, super patient, you know, they do one mile circuits and they do one mile circuits that are really slow and methodical and they know how to call and it's effective for them. Right. But being younger, being able to get to that next muskeg that maybe is two miles back there and hunt the heck out of that, it's going to get less pressure. Where you got to cross creeks and go down into weird spots where people, where you think that. Nobody comes back here and then yeah. you get back there and you see a, a piece of fresh flagging. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, I guess I'm not the only one that comes back here. <laughs> yeah. Or you see a, a footprint in the mud or something. Yeah. You second guess uh, quite a bit, but yeah, I think there's something to be said about hunting really, really well versus hiking too far, but also hiking to get away rather than just hoping that, 
you know, you're standing a quarter mile from the road, whatever the legal shooting distance is, and just right. waiting for something like some city buck to, like, I guess you could get lucky doing yeah. that, but it's probably better to get back in somewhere. So, right, and it, yeah. it's it's more rewarding too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with shooting a shooting a road buck, but I mean, there's just I mean, well, I guess when you get a quarter mile off the road, then that's your road buck. But, yeah. but I mean, there's, there, it's more rewarding when you can get back, get back a mile or two in there and you blow the call mm-hmm. and a nice buck steps out and you get a hold of a nice buck that way where you actually called him out rather than just stumbling across one. I mean, if you stumble across one back there, that's great. Yeah. That's cool too. But it's, there's just something about like calling them in and just, or even calling in a nice just like a small fork or something and you don't plan on shooting it, just kind of watching it. Mm-hmm. They're super cool to watch or just see how they, I don't know. I like to watch them. Yeah. Even if it's just a doe, just sit there and watch the doe. When you hear the steps coming, you blow yeah. the call and you wait and something's coming the in. The adrenaline that, that roll, runs through. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done that. We, me and my buddy hiked back into this spot. I don't know. It was, it was one of those three or four mile hikes when we got all the way back there and, um, we were getting kind of frustrated because we haven't seen anything all day and it was kind of getting late in the day and so we're kind of blew the call maybe a little bit more aggressively just to just something just come out mm-hmm. and we heard that we heard like rustling in the bushes and we heard like stomping we're like oh, oh this is going to be hit and then a black bear steps out oh. <laughs> like <laughs> nice and so we basically just picked up all of our stuff and just left gone we're like yeah. over it <laughs> yeah i'm amazed that, that doesn't happen more because there is that overlap they're not hibernating at that point and right. I've called in a couple, a uh, couple bears or seen a couple bears, but you know, with the amount of calling that people are doing, right. you know, it's there. Whenever when I'm out with my wife in the woods and we see a bear, she's always, I mean, black bears generally, they're more scared of you than you are of them. Yeah. Most bears kind of are. I mean, unless you come across an aggressive one, but how are you supposed to know? Yeah. And whenever we see a bear, she's always wants to like go the other way for like ever. Cause she, she does not like bears at all. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm just like, that's just another just another damn bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you could be pretty comfortable around them once you kind of know what to expect. Right. But, uh, yeah, there's always that chance of, I mean, when you see cubs, then you got to start yeah. thinking, all right, where's mama. And then yeah. you got to start worrying about that. That's something to kind of think twice about. Yeah. But if you just see like a lone male or something, it's just kind of like, yeah, it'd be fine. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to eat his fish and berries. Exactly. So, well, man, getting uh, getting on to an hour and a half here, so uh, let you get to your uh, adult league basketball game and okay. dominate. But yeah. uh, thanks for coming over. Thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was stoked when you asked me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to come out. That's good really to talk. Cool. I'm trying to get more of kind of the catch a can history, some of the right. some of the interesting stuff. So yeah, yeah, always good to see former students doing well. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs>